This is Ayana Ross. This is how I create. Welcome to This is How We Create, a show that digs deeper into the creative life of contemporary artists of color. Discover what feeds their creativity and how they've found or are finding their artistic voice. Through these intimate and candid conversations, you'll gain insights into the lives of creative professionals of color that are hard to find anywhere else. Imagine having a dream to become a painter. You don't know this is a dream at first, yet, as a young child, you carry a notebook around with you to draw every now and again. As you get older, you take an art class here and there, and there was a class that you took on sculpture and another on oil painting that you absolutely loved. You keep drawing and creating no matter what life throws at you. You draw through parenting and through a full-time job at that. There even comes a point where you become disciplined enough to wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning to make room to paint. Because if you don't make the time, it's not going to happen at any other time during the day. And you come to treasure those moments. You hope for success, but success is a sure thing, is it? But you're really not fussed because you can't help but create the art that lives in you. Welcome to This Is How We Create. I'm Martine Severin, your host. This podcast episode is the encouraging story and the inspiring story of the woman we all want to be, Ayana Ross. Welcome to the show, Ayana. Thank you for having me. So Ayana, I found out about you. I discovered you while I was visiting SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design in uh, in Savannah, where you got your master's. I'll start this conversation on a high note. As I was researching you, I found a recording of you winning the Bennett Prize of oh you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we'll start with that. I just want to say how lovely it was to go on and watch that YouTube channel and to see this poised woman with sister locks be very surprised that she won this prestigious prize for figurative artists and you walk to the podium you put down your purse (laughs) and you give such a an amazing and thoughtful thank you for winning this prize so I wanted to start out with that And to ask you to think back to when you were little, did you always want to be a painter or did you have other things in mind? Okay, I have to say a couple of things before that. You're giving me like this rush of emotion, just thinking about um, (laughs) the the winning the Bennett Prize in that evening. And then also, I want to just give a shout out to everyone at SCAD for the positive words support. So a big thank you to all of them. To answer your question, when I was younger, did I think about being an artist, a painter? Um, No, I didn't. Because it was not in my my scope of future possibilities at that stage in life. I didn't know uh, that 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 was something that I could do. What I did know was that I always had a fascination with drawing people. And I was just sharing this with someone yesterday, um, that as far back as I can remember, 
five, six years old, I would keep a little three ring binder with line paper and I'd walk around just drawing people. And they started, I vividly remember starting with the circles for the head, the triangle for the body <laughs> and the thick uh, legs and arms. And I remember when I discovered drawing necks and then that changed, <laughs> that changed everything and, and it evolved like that. I also studied a lot of catalogs and models and catalogs and I used that to, to learn how to draw because I wasn't taking like art classes or anything. Um, so no, I didn't. I, I just knew that I had a deep curiosity about people and drawing and making. A deep curiosity in drawing and making. So is that what drew you to um, get your degree from in design and merchandising um, at first? I don't I don't know where the idea came from to pursue fashion design. Like I said, I was I was drawing people. I was drawing a lot of people from catalogs. So then I started drawing clothes and then I started changing the clothes. I don't know where I first learned that there was such a thing as fashion design. Because at the time, I was living in a small town, Baxley, Georgia, and I wasn't taking any art. There were no... <laughs> museums, galleries, studios, or anything. Or there was no other artist for me to look at. All I can think of, and, and this came up uh, just sharing childhood memories with someone, all I can think of is those um, encyclopedias, you know, that parents used to buy. I don't know. I don't know how old you are. <laughs> but instead of the internet, you know, we had these encyclopedia sets. And I had a set and um I could just imagine just going through those and maybe there was something in there that kind of gave that title fashion design. But um, I do know that from an early age, I claimed that that was what I wanted to do. And it was something that stuck with me through high school, through college. And uh, yes, yeah, so I, I, I majored in design. I was, I had some reservation because no one knew that as a career you know we knew of it but it wasn't like we could point to someone that we knew that had taken that path so it was like okay do I need to major or minor in something safe air quotes um I, I took the risk and, and I studied uh design and, and got my first job in New York how long were you in New York working in that field not very long I, I worked um for a year in New York. And before that, I did like an internship with JCPenney at their corporate office. I worked in New York for a year. And then at the end of that year was when 9-11 occurred. And um, that left a major impression on me. And uh, I, I was kind of shaken by that because I was living alone, working in the city. And I just remember all the flyers that were everywhere, they were looking for people describing what clothes they had on, what color nail polish they had on. And I, I remember talking to my mother about like, if any, if it were me, if anything had happened to me, um, no one would know what I had on. No one would know what color nail polish I had. And I was only, gosh, early twenties, fresh out of college. So I did not have the wherewithal to handle that. And so I chose to return to Georgia after that. 
a few years later, I did have a couple of short stints in, in New York um, working as an assistant designer for, for a company, but those were very short-lived. So all in all, to answer your question the long way, <laughs> it was about a year and a half to two years that I was in New York. We're the same age, and I remember. Really? Mm-hmm, and I, you can't tell because I'm wearing. You look good, girl. You look good. <laughs> <laughs> you look so good. I was like, how old is she? When I saw the video where you winning the better prize, I was like, how old is she? She's like a baby. <laughs> I remember those days, and I was living in Boston at the time when 9/11 happened. When I would go to New York, I would take the Chinatown bus. I don't know if you ever went to Boston, but. I did. I just remember crossing the bridge and you couldn't see the towers. Usually that would be the one thing that would welcome you to New York and you couldn't see it. And walking through and going into the city, I just just remembered feeling the loss. But I can't imagine how scary that must have been for you. Yeah, it was... um... I remember the day so clearly. I I was walking to work. I was a few minutes late and I saw the plane, the first plane fly right into the building. And the guy in front of me said, oh my gosh, that plane just hit the building. Anyway, and I was only a few steps from my building. I can't remember how many blocks we were from ground zero. Um, It might've been something like 17 blocks, something like that. But as soon as I got to my desk, my mom called and she said, are you okay? And I'm like, why? She said, uh, a plane just hit uh, the Twin Towers. I was like, how do you know that? Like the the internet <laughs> is an amazing thing or uh, the news is an amazing thing because she she knew that right away. And then after that, everything kind of went into a, a tailspin. But I will say one thing that that left with me was I lost interest in things and gained interest in people. We had a while uh, when we weren't in the office um, as every, you know, trying to get everything together. But when we came back, I remember sitting at the computer because I was doing um, print designs or sleepwear and intimate apparel. And it was like, what am I doing? (laughs) I, I don't know. It just lost its significance for me. And I needed to engage with people more. I felt that need. I needed to be a, people just became the centerpiece for me after that, which I'm sure had a lot to do with, aside from the fact that, you know, moving, I was kind of displaced in my career, but I'm sure that had a lot to do with me going into teaching um, and connecting with students, you know, in that way. Can you talk to me about how you made that transition from, so you moved from um, Georgia to to New York, and then now you moved back to Georgia and then started teaching? Mm-hmm. Why, how did you choose teaching? Um, I, it's going to sound so bad, but it's so true. I needed dental insurance. <laughs> no, I... Uh... <laughs> I had a lot of like little part-time jobs, you know, in, in my experience being back in Georgia, being in the South, was that uh, it was not work that was comparable to what I was doing. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I was pretty naive at the time thinking, oh, I've worked in design, you know, I've done this. Surely, 
<laughs> I'll be able to get a job. And that just wasn't the case. So I did a lot of uh, part-time work and, um, and I needed something uh, more consistent and I needed something that um, would allow me to have insurance. <laughs> so my aunt, who's in education, she told me about some of these um, alternative teacher preparation programs and said, maybe you should consider that. So my first year teaching, I did not teach art. I taught third grade uh, language arts. And um, I did the training while I was while I was teaching and um, just I don't know, I, I connected with the students. Like I'm one of those people that even if something may not be my thing, if you attach a person to it and there's a need, I'm going to show up, you know? And I think that's what happened. I think that's what happened. It gave me something to show up for, somebody to serve, especially on the heels of all that had happened with 9-11. And, um, you know, and I was fortunate in those early years that I had the time to think about me and focus on oh, that's so interesting that you are that you were always interested in people and that's how it started have you ever thought about why that is um i think that again talking about 9-11 it's just the frailty of life you break everything down and, and certainly now at this age, the things I've experienced in life, you break everything down. At the end of the day, it's about people. It's about caring for people. Even my paintings, you know, whatever we get to do, if you are not adding to another person's life, then what are you doing? Because we're all we're all temporary. You know, you know we got to think about planting that seed in someone and, and, and giving something to someone. And, and I think about um, like being an extension of God's love to other people, you know, so that's what our purpose is. It doesn't always feel like it, <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's what we're doing, right? There is so much love in your work. There is so much tenderness. This is weird, but kisses. I mean, I just, you, you paint so many kids and I always want to just kiss their cheeks when I say, <laughs> but I love kids, so that could be why. But at what point did you start turning to paint? So I think it was the second year after I was teaching. I, um, part of my studies, I chose to, because not a lot of, I hate to say this, but not all art educators like study art deeply. <laughs> so I chose to take some painting courses or and even even before then I, I kind of stayed up with drawing I've always drawn um, I studied I took as many art classes as I could in high school um, I attended workshops even when I was not in school I took my first uh, oil painting class as a part of my teacher preparation or alongside it and that's when I started painting that was my first time painting and learning how to do it. Because when I was in high school, uh, I don't think that was my art teacher's strong suit. So it was like, we just painted. There was no technique taught behind it. So when I took that oil painting class, um, our instructor, she was really good about teaching. I learned to paint, I learned to draw 
through my painting as opposed to drawing and then painting, you know, just taking a paintbrush and drawing with it. So once I took that class, I just continued to do it on my own. It might not have been every single day at first, but I, I continued to paint from that class, that one class. <laughs> and I took other classes like printmaking, sculpting, and I, I attended a couple of workshops in those veins. But that was the one oil painting class that I took. Over the years, it went from continuing to dabble in it to painting all the time. And it just grew and grew and grew. What spurred you to go get your master's in painting? So that was... That was my second master's degree. And I think it was for validation, you know. It was one of those things that I'm sure all the artists can relate to this. You can't push it away. Like you try. I tried. I tried to be something else, especially in the education world. After my first two years, I was just teaching art. But even still, in the education world, there's this, I call it a vortex, where, you know, your trajectory is supposed to be, you become a teacher leader, and then you become, um, maybe you go into administration. And it's not about that subject so much anymore. But me, I was an artist teaching. I was not a teacher teaching art. <laughs> so um, it just, in spite of myself, that part of me continued to grow. And I just couldn't deny it. I tried. I, I hate to admit it. I did try um, because I just felt like I, I was not having the type of success that I, that I wanted. And in those early years, I was a single mom. So I, I kept looking for ways to grow my career. And um, eventually I came to a place of, I came to myself and I just decided, you know what, I am going to do what I feel is most natural to me. And, and this is in large part by nudging of the people around me who love me. Um, I'm going to do what what is more natural to me instead of trying to fit into uh, this mold that obviously does not suit me. I'm going to pursue what, what does suit me. So I spent time trying to improve to build my portfolio while I was teaching. And I always had to work like some part-time job um, to make ends meet. In addition to that, I spent a lot of time trying to get my skill set up to a level where I could apply to grad school. I just knew something was on the other side of it that I, that I that was important. I just knew that was a gateway. And for me, it, I being a single mom, like I said at the time, I needed something that would allow me to continue to work while I pursued it. And yeah, so I just found the perfect fit for me with SCAD and went through that that program for painting. I was falling asleep last night and I was just thinking about my next photo shoot that I would be taking part of. I haven't <laughs> booked it yet, but I was just yeah. so excited. <laughs> I was really excited to think about like the people that would be on set and how we would work together and the images that we would create. And for me, at least when I'm on set and I'm 
um, creating an image. It just it's more of a journey than it is the destination. Is that the same in painting? Do you start out with? A, I know you have to mock everything out, but before you get an idea, how how does the ideation process happen for you in terms of thinking about what you're going to paint and and then arriving at the finished painting? Um, it's definitely a journey. I have ideas. I, I sketch all the time and I plan things out. But even with my best planning, when I'm executing, I think we always have to leave room for the art to tell you what it wants. And it's I'm making that connection, like talking about making the decision to do art, listening to that side of yourself. And listening to that side of yourself in the early stages of like uh, in pursuit is that same voice and equally as important as listening to that voice that tells you how to make the art. Because I don't assume, it sounds weird because I'm talking about different layers of myself, but I don't assume I know what's best. I assume the art knows what's best and the art knows what it wants. I'm just here to try to help it bring itself forth. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Whenever I get an idea to do a project, I I have to sit on it for a bit because um, it takes a long time to crystallize. And usually where I get my inspiration, it is from art, from figurative art, I should say. And then I'm like, okay, so that's where I want, that's the start. And then what's next? And usually it follows with an emotion. And then it just takes a long time to come through. It's it's just an interesting process at at that. But it's so that's so brilliant that you said that you have to leave room for the art to tell you what it wants. What's interesting is to see the body of work that you've created. And this is this is a, an odd question, but looking at or thinking about your body of work. What is it that you're creating? What together? What links your work together? Right. That, Have you thought about of that? Course I've thought about that. <laughs> 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 but you know, I can give you an answer and I'm going to. I don't know if I'm going to fully know though until the end. <laughs> right? um, because I think it's just, it constantly talks to me. And I'm at, I mean, I'll look back and I'll think, Oh, I'm getting clarity here. I can see now. Okay. But then I wonder 10 years from now, 50 years from now, however many years, you know, 80 years from now, how many years I'm blessed to live, will someone, because it probably won't be me, then look back and be able to say, this is actually what she was studying. Now, if you ask me, I will say that. I have this fascination with capturing the divine and the, the revelation in everyday moments. And oftentimes, I don't know if it's as much so in my work that's moving forward, but in the previous work, the work that people have seen, oftentimes those moments are captured uh, through the lens of a child and those childlike experiences um, because I think that that is something we can all relate to, having been children. So, yeah, that's what I think it is. And even, you know, my newer work where 
their children there, but they're just not always the centerpiece. Um, it's just capturing those those everyday moments where it's like a aha or you know like that I don't know that spirituality that spiritual connection uh, whatever you know your spiritual practice is um, that and I'm I'm fascinated with the light that radiates through people in moments so that's what I would say but I can't say that I know for sure and I'm okay with that. Well, do you think that being a spiritual person makes you a better artist? For me, yeah. Are you a good artist because you're a spiritual person? I, I mean, th- these are questions are not in the questions sure. that I sent no, you. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I'm like, I when I look at your work, and I, I do think that there is just that there's a confidence in your oh, your subjects, I guess. I do see it. And I do agree with you in terms of that the why or what you're trying to create, it does change over time. Yes, we can set out to say something specific, but um, once the work goes out there, it does change. People do view it in different right, ways. Right, because it also depends on your vantage point, right? So, you know, I'd be curious to hear one day what someone looks back and says my work was all about. And I kind of play those <laughs> scenarios in my head. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know, this sounds crazy, but I, I leave like little paper trails of my thoughts and ideas. And I imagine many years from now, someone stumbling upon them and trying to use that to piece the whole thing together. <laughs> so, um, kind of lost my train of thought here but i think i i asked you first um do you think you are the the fact yes, that you're a spiritual person makes you so i i can only speak for me you know this is my journey my journey is spiritual yes because i also don't have all of that technical background to lean on and although I, for many years, have looked at it as a deficiency. Like, oh, I didn't attend an atelier. First of all, I didn't even know one existed until, like, in my 30s. (laughs) I did not um, study under so-and-so. But because I did not have that, and because I had to listen to that voice inside of me, I had to learn to lean into that. I became someone that relied on that, that spiritual aspect to get me to build enough confidence to put it out there. Um, so, yeah, that's what I lean into. That's what I lean on. That's what I depend on. That's where I get my support, inspiration, drive. So, for me, yes, I, spiritual. Probably makes me. Ayana, I think your mic is come. It's coming in and out. Oh, no. I don't know what's happening. Maybe. Okay, try now. Testing, testing. Okay, perfect. Maybe it just laid down a bit. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe. I'm touching this. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, Ayana, you won the Bennett Prize. How has that changed your life? 
because this happened in last year mm -hmm. that you won the prize. Has it changed your life at all? Yes, significantly. <laughs> significantly. Um, again, I'll start with it gave me that validation because, you know, to be recognized by your peers and by people who know art and explore art and, you know, filter through hundreds of applicants and somehow found me, that was, that was very validating. And the whole reason I submitted was because a former uh, classmate through SCAD said to me, uh, I think she said so the year before, you should really consider applying for the Bennett Prize. And I'm thinking, and I may have said, I don't know, you know, I know about it. I don't know if I'm good enough. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 you should, you should do it. A big thank you to Maggie for that. I have since then, first and foremost, again, thinking about people, made uh, many great connections with people, met so many wonderful people who have given great insight to my journey. I have, my collect base has grown significantly. Um, I have far more uh, collectors and I have a number of, of prominent collectors. The greatest gift, and I think I said this, uh, I don't know if I said it in my speech, but I certainly said it the day after around the time of I won the Bennett Prize. The greatest gift the Bennett Prize gave me was the gift of time. Because as I mentioned, I was juggling so much while making art. I had such a, a strict schedule because I, I, I just decided that my art was that important. So some days I was getting up at three, most days I was getting up at three, four in the morning to paint before I went to work um, just so that I, I could say I was giving my art the first part of my day and regardless of what happened the rest of the day I knew I'd, I'd done that and um, just praying and believing that one day I'll be able to focus on my real work you know so through the Bennett Prize I was able to step away from teaching which was something I'd, I'd wanted to do for a long time you have to understand as much as I love my kids and I love pouring, pouring into them Past that first year teaching because I needed a job, I'd never intended to stay there. <laughs> and that's just the honest truth. And my students know that about me. And I think they appreciated uh, my honesty with them and the passion that they saw in me. You know, they, they, they took from that and benefited from that as well. But when in the Bennett Prize, I was able to step away from teaching and focus on my work because I always believed that I have no idea what I'm capable of. When you're dividing yourself up into so many pieces, and even if you're given 110, 150%, you're so split up, you don't know what you're capable of if you were to put 100% of you into this thing. And that's why I'm, I'm super excited about the work that I'm doing now and the, the newer work that's going to be coming out because I just like, okay, this is what I'm capable of. This is, this is what I can do. So earlier I remember seeing this um, Instagram post of you in the car painting while waiting to get the kids and I feel like I'm always 
trying to do this <laughs> and that while waiting either for swimming lessons or soccer lessons to finish. And it's it's true sometimes. And, and maybe this is a... Um, this is something that's solely applicable to or working or working parents who are artists, I guess. We have to juggle the parenting and to with with the creating. And I had a, a question for you about that, but you about you know how you manage to make space for your art. You answered it. So do you still wake up at three or four in the morning to, not to always. do your work? No, not always. Not not nearly as much as I used to. But I will still answer that question by saying I have learned and I am learning to establish boundaries along with that discipline, that that self-discipline to get up early in the morning. Thankfully, now, most mornings I'm up between five and six. I will still occasionally get up early. If I wake up, I just get up. I don't kind of linger in bed. (laughs) But um on average, is, is probably closer to five or six now. So that's the self-discipline. And the self-discipline is that art is the first thing I'm doing. I, I typically can't wait till two o'clock in the afternoon. It's too many things that can happen throughout the day that'll take you off course. I will now work late more than I, I used to. But it's also because I have teenagers that you know, have jobs and you have to pick them up after <laughs> later hours. So it just keeps me up a little bit later. And, and um, I should say my husband is super, super supportive as well. So there's that self-discipline part, but the boundary part is as things creep up throughout the day, establishing what you will and will not give into. So uh, there's that. And then there's the little things um, like I have a rule about cooking. I love to cook and I enjoy it, but I don't do it like I used to because if I oftentimes if I cook, I don't paint. It can't be both. <laughs> you know. Oh, I'm using yeah, I'm <laughs> Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> I have to say I'm a big fan of one pot meals. I used to love to cook and I don't anymore because it's it's just as soon as you're done making breakfast, it's time for lunch. <laughs> and as soon as you're done making lunch, oh goodness, it's time to make dinner. I, um, Never ending cooking cycle. is one of those things. Yeah, I don't enjoy it as much, but we have to eat. <laughs> um, so I'm so happy to have spent this time with you, and I love the fact that you're so curious about your art and that you are growing with uh, your your expanding vision. Um, and that you have more time now to dedicate to your craft and to your practice. As we close out this interview, I'd love for you to talk about a guardian angel that you may have, or as I call it, a artist fairy godmother. I have this one woman who just, she comes out, I might be thinking about her and all of a sudden she'll send me an email to say, hey, Martine, um, how are you doing? And she just manages to hook me up with people who are just perfect and there to help me. Yeah. Um, and she gives me these opportunities that I'm, I don't expect at all. And she is, expects nothing in return. So I'd love to know if there is someone in your life who is who has been an actual guardian angel. And if you wouldn't mind naming that person. Oh, sure. But I have to admit, and, and I hope you, you can indulge me here, it's, it would be too difficult for me to just pick one, but I do have a base. 
my parents, in spite of their upbringing and their lack of knowing a lot about the art world, have been extremely supportive and, and still are. And if it weren't for some of their words of to keep going, to take risks, to dream big, I don't know that I would have had the courage to take to do some of the things I've done. My aunt was my first major collector. And if you walk into her house, she has like <laughs> so many <laughs> of my early, early, early paintings up on her wall. And I think she was the first one that framed my work. And when I saw it framed, I remember it, it, it became something. So there's that. My husband, we were dating. We started dating when I um, when I made the decision to turn my, my dining room into my studio. That was my first studio, my dining room. And he would come over and take pictures of the work. This was before I was showing it to people. This was before I had sold anything. And he would take it to his office and, and show it to people. And then he'd come back and ask me, now, how much would you sell this one for? So it shifted something in my brain to think that this is something people would want. And he has been extremely supportive in, in my journey, taking the risk with me of going full time and encouraging me and, and, and being a partner with me. And my kids... I have so many incredible stories with them. I was sharing, and I, I'm going to share this one, this one story. And I think I even posted it once. I went to, this is again when I was, it was just the kids and I, and I kept them active in things. And um, they were running track and I had two that, that made it to a state level competition. So we were in a hotel out of town for this for this competition. And it was a nice hotel and they had art up on the walls. So. We're checking out after being there for a couple of days and we're on the elevator and my middle child runs off the elevator and says, I'll be right back. And I think at the time she might've been 10, 10 or 11 and she runs away and I'm like, so China, where are you going? So we all get off the elevator, carrying all of our bags, lugging, trying to find her. And she's standing at the front desk and she's in the middle of her elevator pitch. So this is my mom and she's an artist and she does incredible art. And we really think that you should have some of her art around your hotel. <laughs> now, mind you, of course, the woman there, you know, she's part time. She's, but she's just blown away that this kid is trying to promote my work. <laughs> and so I have had all of these people around me who believed in me in those moments when I might not have had the strength to believe in myself. And especially considering that this whole journey has been a faith journey. You know, like I said, I don't have the backing of, um, you know, so many being world traveled and having this incredible training. But what I do have is I have a solid support system of family and friends and people who I have not mentioned. And I hope they don't think that I forgot about them and not mentioning them. I have no choice but to succeed because I'm not doing it for me. 
I'm doing it for every single person that believed in me, for every student that trusted me and believed my words that I taught them. Um, I just I just have so many reasons. So I'm grateful for all of them. Oh, <laughs> that was amazing. So the surprise that um, for me when I was chatting with the painting department at SCAD, so I was there over a week talking with the photography students on what it's like to be a commercial photographer. I had a chance to talk with the painting department. We were sitting around having dinner and I said, and I was asking them, I really want to start collecting. And I've been saving for since college <laughs> so that I could collect. I was like, who do you think is an artist that, um, and I told them what kind of art I like and I, how I want to collect black artists and they that's how your name oh came really up. oh wow <laughs> that's awesome yeah, they're like you should check her out but i i would love to be a collector and so maybe when this is over we could chat about what that's like because i am um, i just want to see beautiful work on my walls and i want to support other artists so uh, maybe this is the way I, the reason why I started this podcast is so that I can find the art. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> so sorry. This way you get to hear the, the what's behind the art that you collect, which is incredible. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. But Ayana, I'm so pleased that, that we got a chance to talk. This has been such a pleasure. I've taken so many notes from what you've said. It's been very inspirational to talk with you and I'm a fan of your work and I can't wait to see your star rise. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell the people <laughs> how how they can stay in touch with sure. you? So uh, first, my website is A-Y-A-N-A-R-O-S-S.com, AyanaRoss.com. Through the website, there's a link to contact me and also uh, join my newsletter listing. I usually send something out uh, quarterly. And then I'm on Instagram, Facebook, which is uh, Ayana Ross Art, the tag that you want to put in. So A-Y-A-N-A-R-O-S-S-A-R-T. And yeah. And we'll have all that information in the show notes as well for, for everyone. Thank you so much for joining us or for joining me, especially so early on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, this, is, but this is great. I, I'm an early bird. Thank you. <laughs>